A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. In our cases this week, it is all about money and how money cannot always buy you justice. A family of billionaires is offering a $35 million reward to solve the mystery of who murdered their parents. The couple was murdered in their mansion five years ago, almost to the day police say their bodies were staged. But first, a contentious divorce ends with one of the attorneys on the case getting murdered. Police say the husband in this dispute was furious that the wife got a huge settlement and that he had to pay her attorney fees. So rather than paying up, police say that the ex-husband killed his wife's attorney and then set the man's office on fire. We are recording this on Wednesday, December 14th of 2022. Our guest today is Sean Farrow, a criminal defense attorney from New York with the law firm of Hamilton Clark LLP. We've had you know, both of the partners on the program before. We're so thrilled to have you back. Sean, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you, Anna, for having me back. It's always good to be here. Oh, it's great. And you're um, one of our only rugby playing attorneys on the program. (laughs) I I would imagine so. There's not too many of us out there. So I kind (laughs) of like that title. Oh, it's great. It's great. We just love what everyone brings to the discussion. So we have some cases that are obviously very disturbing. And what's interesting about both cases, Sean, is really money to a degree is at the center of everything, I believe, even though we don't know the motive as to why the billionaire couple was murdered. And we'll get to that uh, next, the next story. But come on, how could money not be part of it? Even if it's like anger over money. There's always a fight over money, and especially when it involves wealthy people, like we'll see in our second story here. But even in the first one with the attorney's fees, money, as they say, is the root of all evil. And and we're seeing it in these two cases play out. And I bet for you, it's kind of a little scary when, um, you know, (laughs) I realize you don't do divorce law, but they can become incredibly contentious angry, lots of threats, and not just threats between the couple divorcing, but anyone trying to help the other person like the attorneys. I mean, it must get really dangerous. I mean, even in criminal defense, you know, people are going to be mad that you're defending someone accused of killing someone else. Uh, quite frankly, we, we see that quite a bit where people are upset at us as though we, you know, maybe committed the murder or committed the offense. But, you know, we are just trying to be- to the best of our ability, just do our job. And it's just unfortunate because when you mix in emotions with it, it's like adding, you know, gasoline on the fire, no pun intended. And it can just be a big explosion. We've seen that from time to time. Yep. And a gasoline can was involved in the in this first murder. So let's get to it. Our first case is out of Lawrenceville, Georgia, where an attorney appears to have been murdered. Obviously, he's been murdered, but the, the police are saying that the person who murdered him was the ex-husband of one of the clients that he was defending and representing. So the victim here is divorce attorney Doug Lewis, a well-liked, hardworking lawyer who always tried to help his clients through the most difficult of times. And anyone who's ever been through a separation or a divorce, you know, it is hard and it is hard on the families. It's hard on everyone. Yeah. So he took this case back in January of 2021, and it was the divorce of the Taya family. Now, he 
was representing the wife in the divorce. Police have not released her name in all of this, so we're going to honor that and not release her name even though it's all over court documents. So now the ex-husband is behind bars for killing the attorney. Again, charged, innocent until proven guilty. But, um, I mean, as we go through the evidence, you will find that police will say he was at the scene, his hair and his pants were singed, and he smelled like gasoline. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. As a defense attorney, it's always innocent until proven guilty. But sometimes there's a lot of evidence pointing to your client's guilt that make it very difficult to move forward. And this seems like one of those cases. Yes, absolutely. So the accused in all of this is 65-year-old Alan Taya, who police say not only murdered the attorney, but he tried to burn down the practice. Police say that Alan Taya took a can of gasoline over to the attorney's office last week on December 7th, and he was hell-bent on releasing a lot of pent-up anger. I mean, this is an incredibly angry man if you look at the evidence which police are alleging in the case against him. They say that he was furious about the actual terms of the settlement. So here's what he was mad about, say police. So in the divorce settlement, the the judge agreed to give the wife $140,000. Plus, he was ordered to pay her legal fees, which were $30,000, And he had to give her half of his retirement, half of the house that they had, and pay her $500 a month alimony. So we're not sure what exactly pushed him over the edge or whether it was the totality of it. Um, I realize you're not a divorce attorney and you may not know the answer to this, but I didn't know that they do attorney's fees in in divorce court. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Depending on how the case plays out, depending on the state law, you can award attorney's fees. It doesn't happen all the time, at least here, not in New York, but it can happen. And so if that's the proverbial shawl that broke his back, one can understand why. Because one, it's a lot that he's been hit with. And then on top of that, you're saying another 30000 And if I'm not mistaken, that was supposed to be due within 30 days. So that's just... That's a lot to throw at someone. I'm not excusing or adjusting it, justifying it anyway, but it is a lot. Yeah, and no, I think, Sean, you're on to something about the attorney's fees because um, the attorney, the victim of this, the man who's been murdered, was upset in the sense that he hadn't been paid. So he went to court and he wanted to hold the ex-husband in contempt for not paying the legal fees. So this was actually the issue that was bubbling up. And there was a court hearing that was scheduled for after the murder, obviously can't do anything about it now. So I'm wondering, not he may have been upset about the entire settlement, but I do believe it was those fees and what was happening in real time that looks like set him off. Yeah, and if I think if I you know saw correctly, the hearing might have been actually scheduled for today, which yes. makes it a bit ominous, right? But this surely was something that was just the, the the last straw. He couldn't take it anymore. And when you add in the emotion from the fallout of the divorce within itself, and then you have to pay attorney's fees, I can understand why police are alleging that he was very upset to say the least, right? This guy was. I think at that point he had just lost it and he was going to take it out on anybody he could 
why not take it out on the attorney? Right. And, you know, so many of the cases we cover on this, I've been saying this for years, I sound like a broken record. Divorce is easier than killing someone off when there is an issue about custody, about finances, about a new relationship, whatever it is you all are disputing, that this is generally the easier avenue, meaning you're not going to go to prison for the rest of your life. Here we have someone who almost got through. He almost made it to the end and and appears to have snapped. Yeah, and, and to your point there, he threw it all away and now there's a potential of him facing the rest of his life in prison. Is it worth it? No. The remaining days that you have, because he is 65 and the remaining years, he's going to be incarcerated. I can't see that's worth it. I, I, I'd rather just pay the money, what I can afford, and just keep living life freely rather than incarcerated. Yes, not right. And that, and you've also killed a man, I mean, or whether, whether he's the one who killed him or not, we'll just say this. There is a man who is dead, a father, a husband, a respected attorney, yeah. a pillar in the community for 30 years, and he is dead for having done his job. Yeah. And as a defense attorney, that kind of scares me, right? For just doing your job, someone may come after you for that. Uh, it doesn't allow us to sleep easier uh, knowing cases like this exist and do happen. But, you know, it's very unfortunate. You know, the heart goes out to the family and to his loved ones because, you know, you never expected anything like this to happen. So it's just yeah. a really heartbreaking case. It really is. It really is. And, you know, you could have made an argument in court if the 30, if he was strapped for the 30,000 in legal fees, could have told the judge, not saying the judge that he or she would have, you know, had any compassion. We have no idea. But again, it's not the end of the world to, to deal with that kind of stuff. And yeah, I can understand where maybe he's upset about how much he has to pay out, but he'll still have money. I mean, he wasn't going to be uh, oh, it's just horrible. The whole thing is horrible. So let's get to the scene of the crime because that is just equally horrible. So firefighters were the first ones to respond at about 5.30 p.m. because the law office was on fire. The building was burning. Once they got the fire under control, that's when they discovered the body of Doug Lewis, who appeared to have been shot. The medical examiner later confirmed that it was the shooting that killed him not the fire or smoke inhalation. According to authorities, a witness near the victim's offices directed police to the suspect, meaning the ex-husband. Yeah. Allegedly, Alan Taya was in the area seen walking away from the fire. Police stopped Alan. And this to me, like, and these are the nails in the coffin here. He smelled of gasoline, his hair and his Pants were singed and charred by having been in a fire. And they also say they found a weapon on him with spent cartridges. It's not going to take very long to figure out if that gun matches the bullets in poor Doug's chest. Exactly. I mean, one of your biggest fears is always to have, you know, defendants say anything. In this case, we didn't need any statements because his clothes were the statement. His hair was the statement. The fact that he had a gun would spend, you know, rounds in it. That was the statement. The fact that he's pointed out in the vicinity of the burning building. That's the statement. Like, he just buries his own defense at this point because everything about him and every... Yeah, everything about him is a statement onto itself. And it's just like, what else can you say at this point? 
it, it all points to him and it just yeah he buried himself in this in this context yeah this is very very traumatizing this entire event for everyone involved including the ex-wife i'm sure she's just i think there's a reason police don't want her name used yeah, for safety reasons, for sure. And just also, you don't want to have to deal with the, the, the public fallout of that, right? People asking you questions, people trying to get it all into your business. You know, you want to give her that space to kind of just kind of process this because it's a lot. You just divorce a person, the person you divorce, and probably at this point, thankfully, then goes and kills your lawyer and then sets fire to it and tries to walk away as though nothing happened. Like, it's, it's kind of surreal in that moment. Yeah, we've seen quite a few cases on this podcast, not only of uh, people going after, let's say, attorneys, but also going after doctors or dentists yeah. or anyone who, um, you know, the, the accused is perceived of having either harmed them or their loved one. We've seen this, even some elderly people who, elderly couple, couples who the wife died and then the husband got so upset at the doctor thinking that it was because he missed something early on or didn't treat her uh, medically in the right way. Therefore, she died. We see this a lot. You know, those are cases where individuals get very angry at someone within their system who either let them down or or caused the death of their loved one. This one is like, this is just sheer fury. Yeah, and there's no reason for him to go after the attorney. I think that, you know, he was very upset with his situation and he projected his anger out onto someone else who, you know, for all intents and purposes would have had his guard down. And so it's just really, like I said, I don't think you could come up with a better word. It's just so heartbreaking to see him project his anger out onto this individual who's completely innocent, just doing their job. So Alan Taya is being held on charges of malice murder and arson. He's in the county jail. He has not been granted bond yet. And according to police, Taya has not made any statements regarding the charges about Doug Lewis's murder. But as you said, he didn't have to say a word. His clothes, his hair, his you know, the weapon he was carrying, allegedly all are speaking volumes. So yeah, Doug Lewis practiced in the area for 30 years, leaves behind a wife and three children. Everyone in the court system is absolutely freaked out by all of this. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like a very small town. It seems like everybody knows each other. And so this has gotta be devastating to everybody in the town who's crossed paths with uh, the decedent, Mr. Lewis there. And so I, I, I find it very difficult for Taya to be able to get a fair trial at this point or an impartial jury. Um, so that's something that his defense attorney should consider going down the road, whether or not they try to move uh, the venue for this if they go forward with the trial. But at this point, I mean, even if you went forward with a trial, what defense do you have with all this evidence kind of going against you? And so it's a very tough case for him, tough case for the defense. and. Nobody comes out this a winner. Nobody. No, and it may be hard for him to find an attorney in that small town who's going yeah. to want to defend him because of um, how close it hits to home. It'll be very interesting to follow. Our next case is out of Toronto, Canada, where the murders of a high-profile billionaire couple have police 
stumped. The murders happened five years ago, yesterday. Can, as I was writing this last night, I was like, I got chills just like you did. I'm like, oh my gosh, five yeah. years ago to the day, December 13th, 2017. It is still unsolved. And there's so much drama, personal family drama, financial drama, business drama that was going on. And the, the reason this is back in the news is not that they have found anything. It's that they have now bumped up the reward money. It's, it's incredible. The original reward money offered by the family early on was $10 million. That's yeah. a lot of money. I mean, we just don't hear about rewards like that. Then the son decides to add another $25 million to the pot. The reward money is up to $35 million. Canadian dollars, but it's still a lot. It is, it's incredible sum of money. This is, this is no small feat. Just because they're Canadian dollars doesn't mean this is, you know, pennies on the dollar here. This no, is no. a lot of money. And so yeah. if he's putting up this kind of money, he is uh, what I think desperate for any kind of answers at this point. I mean, like you said, it's been five years almost to the day and we still don't, we're not any closer today than we were five years ago. Yeah. And we'll see as we talk about it, there are claims and complaints by the family. The police botched this from the very beginning. They and did. I got to tell you, I agree with the family. Based yep. on the police statements alone, I feel like we are getting like a replay of what's happening. I mean, I know it's only been a month in the Idaho college murders, but it's a month and police have made statements that contradict themselves. There are no suspects. You know, I see these parallels a lot. And the difference is so many have complained that in Idaho, it's a small police department in Moscow. This is the Toronto Police Department, a huge metropolitan police department. Exactly. They should have experience doing this. So why are they making this many mistakes, especially so early on in a case? It's a little bit bewildering, but we'll jump into it in a moment here. Yeah. So we're talking about 75-year-old Barry Sherman and his 70-year-old wife, Honey, who were worth between three and five billion dollars, depending on whose figures you believe. But billions with a B. There aren't that many billionaires in the world. So to have a billionaire couple murdered, you know, in their home, in their mansion, is a very big deal, especially with all sorts of things going on in the business and within the family. So police have never named a suspect. The two were found dead in their Toronto mansion two days later on December 15th. So for a few days, Honey and Barry are tied up in their basement swimming pool. The best way to describe this is it's a huge indoor swimming pool like you would find at a hotel. You know, you go and it's got the uh, kind of thick glass cubes and it looks like an indoor pool at a fancy hotel was in their home. They were found, police say, now staged, sitting. They were sitting. They were tied to a railing in the swimming pool area. We'll get into the details of that. Um, but what you have to understand is 
that for about two days, no one's hearing from Honey and Barry and they had all sorts of things that they needed to do and get to and it's a busy house. The house was up for sale. So people were in and out of the house. Oh, so much going on. Okay, the intrigue in this is incredible and the mistakes made by police, very troubling. So let's go to the beginning and work our way through how this happened. Okay. Barry Sherman made his money at, with a pharmaceutical company called Apotex. In 1974, he founded this company. The company is the largest manufacturer of generic prescriptions in Canada. Big business, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Forbes estimated Barry's net worth in 2017 at $3.2 billion, but as we've told you, some have valued the company at more. We don't know, so we're keeping it in the range. What's a billion here or there, I always say. Exactly. It doesn't change the world. Now, this is what I found so fascinating about Barry. Even though he was a billionaire, he liked to drive a little bit beat up, not too beat up, Ford Mustang. Okay. And his favorite place to eat was a place called the Swiss Chalet. The Swiss Chalet is a chicken restaurant that's a chain restaurant in Canada. One of my favorites. I have spent many times <laughs> and many trips to Canada on assignment um, through the years. And I will tell you, Swiss Chalet is a cross between like our Pollo Loco and like an Olive Garden as far as just to give you the setting. It's not a fancy place, but he loved the chicken plate. And I got to tell you, it's a great chicken. Okay. So this makes me really oh. like Barry, right? A billionaire drives a Ford Mustang and eats at Swiss Chalet. I mean, what else can you ask for at this point? Yes, and, you know, the Toronto Star has done fabulous reporting on this. So has Canadian Broadcasting. And they've done some marvelous analysis on the family, what was going on. And as I was reading through all of this, there had been discussions. Like, Barry and Honey had been out somewhere because they were philanthropists. And um, the other couples that they were with had made mention. It's like, don't you guys think you should have security? You know, you're billionaires. It's a huge company. And so Barry, according to the reports, Barry said, you know what? If they're going to get you, they're going to get you. Famous last words. Okay. So um, according to the Toronto Star, at the time of the murders, there was a lot going on. And I think, unless this was completely random, that maybe something going on here has something to do with the murder. So Barry was in a court battle with his cousin over who owned the business. That cousin had said some not nice things about what he wished would happen to Barry. But you know what? People say all sorts of things in the heat of the moment. So there was argument over ownership, which as you know, if you have a very wealthy company, depending on how that's going, it could mean the beginning or the end of your company. So there's that. Then... He had just lost a legal battle over a drug patent. As we know, patents expire all the time. And this one was really hurting him financially because the court had ruled that he was going to have to pay $580 million to settle that. About half a billion dollars. Okay, so that's what's going on in Barry's world. Meanwhile, the house is up for sale for like $6 million, and they're building another house in another community, another very wealthy community, 
to be closer to one of their children. They have four. At the time, they had four adult children and two grandchildren. So everyone in the Toronto area. Okay, now, this is the part I find fascinating. Yep. Okay, because of the financial pressure that Barry was under, reportedly, and his son, his son Jonathan, has done interviews about this to the Toronto Star. So, Barry asked his son Jonathan to pay him back $50 million, which he had loaned as part of a greater sum of $125 million. Barry had given Jonathan, over the years, $125 million to help him launch, start, support a self-storage business. And with this looming judgment coming, Barry says to his son Jonathan, hey, can you give me $50 million back? Jonathan, this son, is the same son who just upped the ante by $25 million for the reward. Now, Jonathan has told the Toronto son, quote, I am not going to kill my dad because he needs $50 million. He also told the star he didn't kill his parents. And um, his sister, though, has suggested publicly that maybe he would have had a a motive. Of course, obviously, Jonathan is not charged. No one is charged. The family's not charged. And now the brother and sister are not talking to each other. So much drama. There is a lot going on here. Are those potential motives? Maybe. I don't see it being about, you know, any of the lawsuits. I don't see that playing into a factor. But if you're saying that maybe some family member being involved, I could see that. And I only say that because, again, there's no forced entry. There's no sign of struggle in the house. Uh, Someone knows the layout of this land very well. And, yeah, I I just I feel like this is an inside job here. And so I would think. Yeah, it feels personal because. Yeah. What is there to gain? I mean, you, wouldn't you have been better off abducting Honey and Barry and trying to get ransom money? I mean, they're worth more alive unless you stand to inherit something. That's what my thought process was. Like, who is getting something out of this by their deaths? Because again, like, I, I find it very interesting that someone was able to slip into this house obviously undetected, Honey and Barry are not there, but it doesn't set off any alarms. It doesn't really trigger any cameras. Like there's no evidence of this person getting into the home and really no evidence of this person getting out of the home. This person has to know their way around, you know, the landscape of this home and inside and out. They have to. It's all very, very troubling. You know, when anyone gets murdered, obviously it's a big deal. And every, sure. and that's why I said that sometimes money cannot buy you justice. We talk about how the justice system is so unfair. And if you have a lot of money, you can mount a defense and you can make a lot of noise publicly. Yep. Right? And how unfair that is to those who don't have those resources and they need justice for their loved ones. You know, if, if, a couple who worked at a grocery store, 
you know, if they were found murdered in their apartment, would they be getting the same amount of attention? Certainly they wouldn't be getting the reward money, something like this. But look at this family. They have billions of dollars and they cannot get this thing solved. To your point, like justice cannot be bought, right? At the end of the day, even with $35 million on the table, there's no more answers today than there were five years ago. They're not anywhere closer. But it also doesn't help the fact that the cops have botched this repeatedly over the five years. That's not going to add to anything here. Okay, so let's get to the details of what went wrong with the police department. Because the family saying they messed up, the police messed up from day one. First of all, this to me is the most unbelievable part. From day one, the police said this is a murder-suicide. They said Barry killed Honey and then killed himself. But here's the problem. They were tied up and so were their hands. So someone explained to me how, how Barry, who's like 70 years old, managed to kill Honey, tie her up, tie up her neck, tie himself, tie his hands behind, you know, kill her, kill him. It, it took them five weeks to change it from a murder-suicide to a targeted murder. Gee, that is precious time in an investigation that has been wasted and lost. I, I, there's no doubt about that. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the show First 48. There's a reason why they call it First 48, because the first 48 hours are the most crucial hours to getting leads, talking to suspects, collecting evidence. Once you get past that 48-hour mark, that's when leads start to go cold. That's when evidence starts to get contaminated. You lose precious opportunity and time when you wait longer. So the fact that they waited weeks, I mean, that throws a big wrench into your investigation and makes it incredibly difficult to try to resolve after that point. The family was furious. They hired a team of private investigators, former detectives, very well-regarded people in Canada, and they also hired a bunch of forensic experts, um, a medical examiner. They did their own autopsy. So the family, this is where money does come in when it comes toward justice. They were able to fund all of this. And so then the family has a press conference and announces all of the things that have been botched here. So according to the family, they described how Honey and Barry were found. They were in that indoor swimming pool, as I described. This is in the basement of their $6 million mansion. Now, they weren't in the water, as we said. Instead, they were sitting on the cement, tied to a railing, posed or staged is the way it's been described. Their hands were tied behind their necks, and they had belts around their necks tied to the railing. No forced sign of entry, and the cause of death was ligature neck compression. So my question is, how do you, if you are only one person, one killer here, how do you get these two into this location, seated like this, kill them and set them up without anybody else's help and without leaving a ton of evidence in the process? You know, that's something I wondered myself when I was thinking about this. Is there just one or is there multiple killers? Uh, one of the things I, I, I thought I read was the fact that maybe Honey and Barry came home at different times. So he's able to attack Honey first because she comes home first, get her, set her up, 
and then is able to wait for Barry as he's coming in and then attack him blindly. That's potential uh, potentiality for this case. He gets attacked, they get attacked at two different times, maybe, but the other likelihood is that there's two different people at least involved in this as well. And moving them, unless the murders, like no one's told us where the murders took place. So were they killed in the swimming pool area? We'll try and put a photo up for you. Uh, Were they killed there? Were they killed somewhere else in the house? Like how, we don't know a lot in that sense, but clearly it's very disturbing. And then if, if the cause of death was ligature neck compression, Please explain to me how Barry did that to himself. Yeah, I, he, he did it. All right. And that's why it's completely staged. Not to mention, I think there was something about the belt tension itself that it just wasn't enough to cause that death. So it would seem to me that this was caused somewhere else, both of these deaths, and then they were then moved there and kind of staged to your point. I don't think the way they were set up is how they died. I think that's the way they were presented, but they were killed a different way and in a different place in the house. The other thing that the family investigators have said and complained about the uh, police, they claim that the police didn't properly check all of the entrances to the home. They claim that the police did not interview everyone who either had access to the house, had been in and out in their world, and fingerprinted them. So they claim that there are a lot of people that they identified in Barry and Honey's world who were not questioned or fingerprinted, and they have a problem with that. You know, I think what is really problematic is, you know, if you have DNA or fingerprints that belong to close family members, well, what does that prove? You know, they were very involved grandparents. I guess what I'm trying to say is, how can you, what do you do when, and we don't know what the DNA evidence is, but what what do you do if it's a close family member and they are in and out of that house all the time? So how do you, you can't unexplain their, I mean, they exist and they're in their world. So of course their DNA is going to be around. Absolutely. I mean, you're collecting DNA and fingerprint samples because you want to start excluding some people. But even if you see that there's family members or even close friends that are in and out of the house, at least that can give you an idea of who we need to kind of focus our investigation on, who we need to talk to, who do we need to press a little bit more for answers and kind of understand their timeline of events in and around the killings themselves. So at least it helps to target or help to focus the investigation. But in this case, when you're not collecting any samples, I think for roughly nine months, uh, some reports have said, and you've had the cleaning lady who's inside the house cleaning up things and continuing to clean before uh, detectives are interviewing her, then you're losing, again, precious time and precious opportunity to try to target your investigation. And what you see as a result of that is kind of where we're at now, where it's like, You know, you got arrows pointing in different directions and it's not really clear where to go from here. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the the four adult children had alibis uh, for where they were at the time. Um, So nothing happens for years. Okay. 
And then four years down the road, so that would be last year, in December 14th of 2021, everything, it's like, it's like we're living in these, today, it's like we're in a hologram of holiday anniversaries of horrible things that have happened. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> right? The Toronto police release footage of a possible suspect. This is, we think it's a man. No, I don't know for sure, uh, of a person walking in the neighborhood. According to police, they have studied hours of footage and they were able to identify everyone on CCTV except for this person walking in the snow. So they released this a year ago. That's the only new thing that they have released. That hasn't gone anywhere. That could be anybody. It could be the killer or it could be just somebody walking down the street in the snow. Yeah, without more, that video, at least at this point, for all intents and purposes, is completely useless. It sucks to say because it doesn't seem like there's any other evidence, but there's not much you can do with it. To your point, you don't know if it's male, female, or however they identify. You don't know what their height is. You don't know anything about them. So, like, what can you really do with it? Nothing. No, no. So... There are a lot of weird things. And, you know, we gave you the summary version of all the drama within the family and the business. But there are so many more things going on. But those are really like the big things. But there's one thing about this murder. I'm not saying it's suspicious, but it really troubles me. Okay. And it's how and when Honey and Barry were discovered. And this... This, I mean, I, I had to check several sources on this one. I'm like, is this true? <laughs> it was one of those like, this cannot be true. Okay. We said the house was for sale, right? Oh, the other thing was an offer had come in and Barry was mad because it was under like 200,000 under and he was mad. He wanted, you know, competitive pricing. I'm like, you know, this happens to everyone, Barry. Everyone's offer comes in under asking. It's just, I don't care if it's a $6 million home or a $200,000 home. <laughs> um, in that case, you're not special, Barry. I'm sorry. Not right. Okay. So... The house is for sale and it's being shown. On December 15th, two days after Barry and Honey are believed that that would be the day that they were killed, last day that they were seen alive for sure, their agent shows the house. This part is crazy and unnerving. So Barry and Honey are tied to the railing of the pool, in the pool room, okay? The swimming pool room. According to... To the Canadian Broadcasting Company and multiple news agencies, this is not under dispute. Yeah. The realtor representing the house, trying to sell a house, had two clients who were looking at the house. And they went to tour the house while Barry and Honey were dead tied up in the pool. They went to the pool area and they said, that is so bizarre. What are they doing there? They The... the Three people are in the pool area. Honey and Barry are tied up. And they think to themselves, well, obviously they're not dead. I mean, because it wouldn't be like they're dead because that wouldn't make any sense. This is either leftover Halloween stuff, which is very bizarre. <laughs> Plus, Halloween would have been six weeks ago. I mean, I know people leave up Christmas decorations for a long time, but come on now. And, and so they leave. They leave. They leave the house and it isn't until later that it's finally reported that Barry and Honey are dead. Can you imagine you walk, you're looking at a house, you see what looks like two people tied up to a swimming pool. These are people in their seventies and you think that's kind of bizarre. Are they doing yoga or is this leftover and you just go on about your business? 
in all in their in their defense, I mean, can you even begin to process the idea that you walk into a home and you see two people dead? Right? You got to come up with any other remotely possible explanation than what I'm seeing is actually true. Like I just I couldn't process that, and so I, you know what? I got to walk outside. I can't deal with this right now. Uh, I will process this later. Yeah. Anything else? It, and honestly. I kind of believe them. It's because as crazy as it sounds, it's like you can't possibly reconcile that they're dead. Plus, it's not your home. And you're like, well, and who knows? Maybe they were eccentric, right? He ate at a very inexpensive chicken place. He drove um, a little Ford Mustang. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe they were eccentric. I have no idea. And the realtor's like, you know, they're kind of eccentric people. I don't know. Right? And, and you talk you yourself That's, out of the worst thing possible. You have to. In that <laughs> moment, I think you have to. Because I just, again, I cannot fathom the idea of like, oh, I'm going to visit a house today. And it's like, the person who owns the house is dead and their wife is dead. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I can't. Yes. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to leave today. We'll, we'll think about this. Right. And you can imagine the two clients, you know, I don't know if they were a couple, a family. I have no idea. They're like, what strange people. they're billionaires they're weird what can you say so everything about this case is so unusual so bizarre i can't wait to hear um all of you weigh in on youtube on what you think especially you know in the comments section what do you think happened what is going on here a complete botch up by police um a botch up just like the worst i just shocking five years later we have no idea who killed Honey and Barry Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a, a long road ahead. It's already been a long road ahead for the family. It's going to continue to be a long road ahead because at this point, there are no leads whatsoever to speak of. And so uh, you hope that the money is enticing enough for something or someone to come for it. But it just doesn't seem like it at this particular point. And you can't real, rule out the, the possibility that that there was something totally random about this, though I think that is the least likely. True. At this point, you can't rule out anything, but I, I highly doubt it just because, again, there's no sign of force entry. Like somebody knew their way around this home and around this landscape, and they just knew uh, how to how to carry this out to the fullest extent. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media. Here's our producer, Will Updike. Hey, Will. Hey, Anna, how's it going? Good. Hey, Sean, good to see you. Uh, So this (laughs) this week we have a like a serene golf game ending in a very intense argument and a rather brutal assault. So what happened? This case comes out of uh, Bay St. Louis, Missouri, where a 51 year old man allegedly bit off a victim's nose during an argument about golf. So. According to a press release from the the police department there, officers responded to the Hollywood Casino parking lot to the report of an assault. At the scene, police said they found what was a victim uh, with a disfiguring facial injury. So they dug in a little bit more on this. And apparently the, the suspect here, Mark Curtis Wells, bit this victim's nose off during an argument that started because of a golf game that had been played previously earlier that day at the Bridges Golf Course. Now, according to some people uh, in the party, uh, you know, this dispute kind of continued throughout the day among multiple golf players, and it eventually culminated in this assault in the casino 
parking lot. Now, after biting this victim's nose off, Wells reportedly he fled the scene, but he did later turn himself in. He was booked into the Hancock County Jail. His bond was reportedly set at $50,000, but he did end up, you know, he he did end up paying the 10% down. He was released, Uh, but he does still face charges of felony mayhem, uh, which is a new one for me. And if found guilty, the charge is punishable by up to seven years in prison. Um, We had to do this one. You weren't with us, Sean, but we did a case um, earlier this year just a few months ago actually where there was another nose biting um <laughs> by a tight like a by a former tyson foods executive who worked for the beyond Meat company who bit some guy's nose uh after a football game so this is a, a, i guess now a theme for for 2022 hopefully it doesn't carry over into next year uh but people had a lot to say about this one brandy said that must have been one hell of a golf game which i agree this does not seem like the type of argument that would stem from from golf. I, I I know that people get frustrated. It can be a frustrating game, but I mean, Sean, this seems like something that's more likely to happen after uh, after a rugby scrum or something. I, I, would, I would agree with that. I feel offended that golf is more intense than rugby right now. How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? Indeed. Uh, pause. I uh, thought this person might have just been hungry. They said, bro, should have brought a Snickers, which I will say, like, I, I'm not a big golfer. The few times I have been, though, it you are out there for a long time. You get very very, very hungry. So I could see if, you know, maybe that's what escalated this argument too. Uh, they were hangry. Was, You're saying they were hangry. Yeah, that's what yeah, everybody, like the is. <laughs> yeah, everybody ate a little snack. Yeah, already working on the defense. I love it. Hayden W. said he may be a Mississippi man, but all but every gator in the Everglades that this man was born in Florida. I could not confirm this. Um, but yeah, it, you know, people love to go in on Florida on the comments here. They, uh, they do provide a lot of material for this segment. Sarah G said he took the got your nose game literally, which yikes, 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 yikes. And Dutch said a nose in one, which one shot, one, one grab. Um, yes. Way to go, a Dutch. Nose in one. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, absolutely rough. And you would think, too, just because of like the sequence of events, they would have had a, a little bit of time to sort of calm down, cool down from this argument. No um, festering. I- it's festering. That's, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. After the casino, though, I mean, I feel like at that time, at that point, I'm just let it go. Maybe, uh, maybe move on from golf. But um, why bite someone's nose? This is the part I don't get. Look, people get into arguments all the time and they slug each other. They hit each other. They push each other. And I'm not advocating that. But this idea of biting off a body part, what this is, that is brutal and Oh, very upsetting. It's so gross. And I guess the thing that I always wonder in these cases is like, how are you getting close enough to a person's face that you're like able to bite their nose? Like I, you know, I, I'm pretty non-confrontational, but if somebody is getting that close to my face, I don't think things are, are escalating that, that far. Who does that? Who bites another person's face? And takes <laughs> off the nose. Who does that? The fact that? that this is the second nose-biting story of this year, like, that's what I'm stuck on still. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will's yeah, so- all over, you know, the these biting cases. Like, if someone loses a nose He's got because it. they was bit off. I got, yeah, Google, I, got, I got Google alerts set up. I got to know. <laughs> I, I need to know about, about nose biting. I'm hoping to see this trend go down next year. <laughs> Um, but that'll do it for today's comment section. I uh, want to give everybody a reminder. If you want to leave those, you can do that over on our YouTube community page. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter, and our push to 5 million subscribers continues. We're at 4.99. We are getting dangerously close. We would love to have one of our commenters, one of our viewers on the show. At least we may have more. We're still figuring it out. But if you haven't already subscribed, please do. Please tell your friends. Uh, we would love to have you on. 4.9? We're 4. almost 9, there? 9. <laughs> like, it's crazy. What? Yeah. Wait a minute. We have to figure out how to get people on the program. We, we haven't even yeah. had the we'll meeting be, about we'll that. We'll be working on it beyond the scenes. It'll, it'll likely not be able to happen until next year. But I'm canceling really Christmas. Excited. I'm sorry. We're canceling Christmas for the team. We have to figure <laughs> out how we're going to celebrate the 5 million and get you all on. Because we've promised once we hit 5 million, we're going to start having you guys on. Well, Absolutely. we made this promise without asking management. Will and I did. <laughs> But we'll hold her, we'll hold true to it. We'll hold true oh, to it. Oh, we will. Oh, we we are of our word. We may not know how we're going to do it, but we are of our word. I'm canceling Christmas. Sorry, nobody can have. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Someone is going to lose a nose. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Uh, that'll do it for this week's comment section. Thanks so much, and I'll see you all next week. Bye, Will. Wow, that is some crazy stuff. Thank you yeah. so much, Sean, for Thank joining you. us. It's been a pleasure to have you back where can people find you um on social media attend your rugby games <laughs> <laughs> please don't go watch me play rugby it'll be horrible to watch but if you want to find me on social media you can find me at underscore sean farrow esq i'm all over instagram as well as twitter it's the same thing underscore sean farrow esq and then you'll just find me in the news every now and again doing criminal cases here in new york city so be on the lookout for any of the work i do Wow. Yeah. And I love those photos of you with your rugby buddies. <laughs> it's just, it. well, you know what? It's just something different. I, I get to, yeah. I get to learn a little bit about all of our guests, as I call part of the crime family, as you all share your thoughts and everything on the program. But then I follow so many of you and I just, and I find you all so interesting. <laughs> Awesome. I'm glad. I appreciate the follow. Yeah, rugby is a different sport and I love it. It has become my number one sport now it's overtaken football and basketball because it's so different and i've met so many great people from around the world so i'm very fortunate as well it's so cool what a what great interest i love everybody's got such an interesting um life and background outside of the crime world so um you you can follow me at anna g news anna with one n you know i don't always talk about crime sometimes i talk about other things because yes there are other things in life <laughs> Uh, you can find this podcast and all our other podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to our YouTube channel. As you've heard, it's the place to be. <laughs> and we're so excited to have you all on the program. Leave your comments. We love the community that, that y'all have built. You all have built that community. Subscribe to our newsletter, truecrimedaily.com. As I always say, that feels so 1995, <laughs> having a newsletter. I love that we're so retro here. <laughs> So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>